This is 400 Plus. I'm Mark Sims. My guest is Karanja Quinta Carroll, Ph.D. Dr. Carroll is a faculty member in the Department of Black and Latinx Studies at Baruch College in New York City. Welcome to the show, Professor Carroll. Good afternoon. I'm excited to have you here, and uh, I know you're, you're a busy professor, so we're going to try to make it quick as possible. So the first hmm. quick question, what is CUNY? CUNY is the City University of New York. It is a system of colleges, I believe the largest um, public college system in the United States might be comparable with um, the, a similar type system in California, but it consists of four-year colleges, two-year community colleges, the Graduate Center, and a couple of other specialized schools. And I teach at Baruch College, <clears throat> which is primarily known as the business college of the CUNY system, even though I am not a business faculty, as you stated, I teach in Black and Latinx studies. And Brew College was roughly what? Uh, I ain't been in York for so long. 25th and what? 3rd Avenue or something? Uh, it is 25th and Lexington. Okay. Um, no, is it Lex? I, I really... Le yes, Lexington, but but it actually goes... Um, Lexington takes up that whole block of Lexington over to 3rd Avenue. So, yes, it, you know, there's a corner of it that is at 3rd at some point. So here's my, my I do broader open-ended questions, so here it is. As, Dr. Carroll, as a professor, what are your goals that you want for um, yourself and your, and your students? So, you know, I, I've been teaching for over 20 years now, um, and at Baruch College, I teach at least every semester, I teach one, uh, two to three sections of a racism class. It's called Evolution and Expressions of Racism. In addition, I teach um, a class very often on African religion and spirituality, sometimes a class on Black uh, political thought. Um, this semester, I'm teaching a, a class on Black and Brown community organizing, and every once in a while, some, some other um, sampling of classes. But I think, like, ultimately, what I'm trying to do with my students is <clears throat> introduce them to an alternate way to see and understand reality, make sense of reality, and then use that as they move through their lives. Now, the racism class that I teach, it is a lower level class. I usually get first year students into that class. So I'm trying to do all of what I just mentioned, but I'm also trying to introduce them clearly as to what racism is and making a very clear distinction between racism, prejudice, and discrimination, having them understanding the concept of race. And again, once they have that stuff taken care of, then it's like, all right, who are you? How have you gotten here? And what are you going to do um, from this point forward? Um, that racism class, like I said, <clears throat> I teach multiple sections of that um, every every semester. And that is where I really can like, you know, just kind of unpack the processes by which you know, these young students who are primarily of color um, have come to understand themselves. And if they do not clearly understand what racism is, they cannot clearly understand who they are and how they exist within a society that is based upon racism and white supremacy. Um, the other classes that I, that I teach, I'm trying to, to do um, some more things that are, that are more specific and connected to, 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 course, to course content. Um, but as a professor, 
um, if I can get my students to um, understand the world that they live in from a more critical um, lens and a critical vantage point, then I'm happy and I'm satisfied with that. There's some other things that I do as a professor. Um, my students know that I um, am very particular about student writing and I um, want my students to, 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 to be able to articulate themselves not only through the spoken word, but also through the written word. So I am a, a, a stickler on like trying to get my students to clearly articulate their ideas and support the arguments that they're that they're that they're making. So um, those are the two the two major goals that I would argue are consistent um, with my teaching and why I teach and how I teach and all that jazz. Well, I know I would have failed your class if I was there for uh, almost 40, <laughs> 40 years ago. Uh, because you know, you know, raised in the born in the '60s, raised in the '70s, blah 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 blah. So this is where I'm coming from. So what do you tell? What do you? What a student? I don't think a student will, but just in case a student come to you, anybody off the street and say, uh, Professor Carroll, I ain't. I mean, a black person, ADOS, you know, descendant of slave, black person, Negro, right? If they say, listen, I ain't no African, what would you tell them? Um, I would probably find some Malcolm X quote and you know throw it right back at them. Um, <clears throat> something as simple as like, you know, what did Malcolm say? Malcolm said something along the lines of like, you know, you say you're not African, you left your mind in Africa, or you say that you're like, you can't hate the, the, the roots of the tree without hating the tree. <clears throat> All those, I, that's what I would go to. What I like to do is like to utilize the words of, of others, especially people who've come before me to, to, to answer those type of questions. But when you get down to the nitty gritty, um, what does it mean to be African um, is, is really what the question is. So if someone says to me, I don't believe that I'm African, I would ask them what it means to be African. Um, I approach these type uh, experiences or incidents through not necessarily me giving them an answer and telling them like, you know, what I think as much as it is for, to get them to think and process and put these things together. You know, I would maybe give them a quote from John Henry Clark that tells us the only thing that separates us, that separates African-Americans from Afro-Caribbeans, from Afro-Latinx folks is a boat stop. It's where that boat stops. And we should be concerned with where the boat picked us up from. And the boat clearly picked us up from the West Coast of Africa. So therefore, you are an African, you are a descendant of Africans. And to speak even more accurately, you are a new African. That is a conglomerate of, of all these Africans that have coalesced into creating this population that we refer to now as African-Americans. And so what do you say to a person who is a descendant of American slavery, if you will, mm -hmm. and they are, you know, uh, mulatto, 50 percent, uh, maybe quadroon, octoroon, whatever. They could be like Plessy. I think Plessy was what, one eighth uh, African mm -hmm. blood or something. They say, listen, mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't look African. I don't feel African. I don't think I'm African because I, I don't have enough African blood in me. But we don't nobody uses a, a, a blood test to determine ancestry. No one uses blood tests within this country. We look at how you live your life and how you are treated in relation to other um, folks, uh, especially who don't have the same skin privilege as, 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 as everyone. Um, I think we can look at the early 1900s and find enough people who were of African descent 
who could have passed and clearly could have passed for white, and they chose to see themselves as African. Again, I use historical examples. Um, I tell folks, pick up that book, Passing, by Nella Larson, and look at the narrative that's in there. Look at um, some of the early leaders in the NAACP could have passed for white, but they um, clearly were, were committed to seeing themselves as as being black of African descent. I use those points of example and say, you know, these are the narratives that you need to be trying to look at and understand. Because once you understand those narratives from 100 years ago, it can make sense of how and why you should be committed to seeing yourself as African, to see yourself as African descendant, to see yourself as a, as a black person, because there's a continued struggle that, um, that, 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 that we are on. And even though people might be passing, there's no guarantee that that seed that comes about within the next generation may not be passing. And therefore, let's deal with those realities and fight them on a unified front as African people and African descendant people, as new Africans in America. Dr. Carroll, do you think in this, in this modern era, and this is, I mean, do you think we ever gotten over some of these legacies of slavery? I, I have people who, to this very day, it, was, it stuns me. These people are my age and older, 50, 60 years old, some 70s, and they still have a, a little sly discussion about who's black, how to be black. You ain't black like me, and, you know, and I'm blacker than you, and you're not authentically black. What do you say to those I, people? So, you know, I came to these questions of identity um, from the work of uh, black psychologists like Naeem Akbar, uh, Amos Wilson, Linda James Myers, um, Colby Cambone, those groups of, of folks. And, you know, a lot of them deal with black personality theory and make the argument that, you know, black folks are a unique group of people that come from a unique history, lineage, so forth and so on, and means that we approach and understand the world in a very distinct way. A lot of my early um, research and writing revolved around what's known as the African worldview. Um, and the African worldview is a pan-African approach to looking at how and why we do what we do and how and why we exist in the world that we do. I mean, as we do. <clears throat> and when you begin to look at this African worldview, you find continuities and connections um, across the African diaspora, but also continuities and connections that allow for black folks within the United States to see that they're African. Such things as like, you know, how we use music um, and the, the, the function of music within our lives um, the, 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 our usage of the, the, the English language. I mean, <clears throat> people really need to look at the, 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 the work of um, Lorenzo Turner, um, Robert Williams, uh, Ernie Smith, and all those folks um, who from the early 1900s into the 60s, 70s, and, and the 80s were doing a lot of important research around, uh, around Ebonics and looking at the way in which we use the English language whether we're talking about consonant clusters, whether we're talking about this consistent verb to be, all of these components are connected with, you know, West African language and speaking, speaking styles. And, you know, that is a clearly a, 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 a cultural um, connection that speaks to, to, to who we are as African people. And I could go on, but the point that I'm trying to make is that we live in a society based upon white supremacy and nobody wants to be African within this society. But 
the fact that we do not understand who we are speaks to our state of mental confusion and conceptual incarceration. And until we understand who we are, and until we are able to see ourselves as African people, we will always be trying to compare ourselves to someone else and coming up short. Because we should, only people that we should be comparing ourselves to is other Africans, not anyone else. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that for a lot of our, our, our people, we don't want to understand the depth of our existence. I mean, like, we, we have, many of us believe that we have a history that goes back 400 years. And we don't deal with the history prior to 400 years ago. We don't deal with the history of who we are. And I'm not even talking about going all the way back to the Nile Valley civilization. I'm saying let's just deal with what we created on the west coast of Africa. Well, let's look at the civilizations and the peoples that we were. Because they, those are the people who came across the Atlantic. And those are the people that we descended from. And understand those people, understand those ways of being, and understand you know, what happened to, to, to those folks to see how we could transform into who we are today. But we can't do that if we think that our history begins in 1619, because our history is much more deeper than what happened in 1619. Well, Professor Carroll, do you, do you consider yourself a black nationalist? Um, I consider myself a variety of things. <laughs> um, one day of the week, I, you might, I might consider myself a, a, um, a black nationalist, but I also, I can tell you what I ascribe to as it relates to political um, ideologies. So on one hand, yes, I'm um, a black nationalist. I am more accurately um, committed to the, the, the goals of the new African independence movement. Um, I believe that black folks within the United States are a nation within a nation. And I believe that we um, should have land that speaks to who we are, our contributions to this particular land that we're on and our movement for um, independence. At the same rate, I'm a Pan-Africanist, and I believe that Africa should be independent from <clears throat> uh, all of the foreign powers that attempt to you know, extract natural resources and extract the, the body energy of, of African people on the um, continent. And I'm also one who believes in, 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 in the autonomous sovereign existence of all marginalized people wherever they're at throughout the Caribbean, um, uh, th throughout all of, all of the, the, the world. I believe that all people have the ability to exist in freedom and exist without foreign control over their existence, whether we're talking about Palestinian peoples, whether we're <clears throat> talking about um, folks throughout the Caribbean, whether we're talking about folks in Ireland, I could go on. Because all people, um, not, not all, but I should say too many people are marginalized um, based upon the hegemonic powers of um, a, a few folks and nations who primarily um, are white folks. I'm almost done. I, I, I'm going to talk about, let me talk about political, black political prisoners before we get off this phone here. Uh, but let me, mm -hmm. I had a thought pop in my head. Bob Law, I, I used to listen to Bob Law back in the day. And they used to mm -hmm. air the Bob Law show on WVON radio here in Chicago. And they used to listen to him and other black nationalists and all that kind of stuff, uh, conscious black people back in the day. 
from that era in the 90s, 2000s, even from the Marcus Garvey days of that, what I'm trying to say is that how has black nationalism or black consciousness changed? And has it changed for the better or for the worse in this modern era? <laughs> um, so you're going to need me to come back to the show to, to talk about this in detail, because this is a very complex question. It just, it just popped in my mind. That's why with, I, maybe I got to have you back. It just popped in my brain here. <laughs> with a variety of levels. So uh, I'll say this. The first thing is that Black nationalism means so many things to so many people. Um, and a lot of people who claim and utilize the term Black nationalists are not really concerned with nation building. By nation building, we're talking about what Malcolm said to us, that, that freedom is connected to your access to land and, your, and that ability to use that land to create your future. Um, people want space to, 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 to do their, you know, hyped up cultural, historical ego stuff, which is fine. You know, it's not going to get you free. You know, it'll make you feel good about yourself, make you have some confidence, which is what you need. And maybe once you have the confidence, you'll be able to willing to fight and die for freedom. Um, <clears throat> I'm saying that because there are strains of black nationalism um, that are connected to um, personalities that I will not name at this moment, because when I come back, we could talk about this in detail, but are connected to personalities who have a way of, you know, <clears throat> moving and shaking through our community because th these folks know that our people are suffering and looking for answers. And therefore they pop up with an idea. They pop up with a potential solution. Maybe it's consisted of like doing a whole bunch of DVDs that can get people to ask particular questions. Maybe somebody else is gonna pop up and, 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 and have a, you know, um, say that they're going to create a school. Maybe I could go on. But all of these people arguably are black nationalists and are committed to some, you know, level of black nationalism. But the real question is, what type of nation are they attempting to build? Or, or, or are they even thinking about building a nation? Or are they thinking about something else? Um, but please, I, I, I want to come back no no i'm gonna, I'm gonna and, that, no i'm and, sorry and, and, i'm sorry i sprung and, that i'm sorry i sprung that on you too late man <laughs> no, no, it's, it's all good but I, but i do want to want to want to come back um and, and talk about this and in, in some level like i told you like like i said earlier one you know i use i teach a class around black political thought and in that class on black political thought we go through the many approaches to thinking about black nationalism um so i i obviously have thoughts ideas and I'm rather well versed in, 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 in this topic, but you know, I'm not gonna open up that can no, of worms no, no, no. <laughs> with two minutes left to go. What well, you said so, that you had so another the, question? No, the, so this one I'm gonna do. I have to bring you back to do a a, a dissertation on the on the last question. But so first <laughs> first let's do this. Thank you, for, thank you, Professor, for being my guest on 400 Plus. So in the podcast, just talking, you can do a couple of minutes if you, if you got it. Talk about, because mm -hmm. I see some of your videos, and you talk about the importance of really recognizing and helping and writing letters to black political prisoners. Yeah, so, you know, um, a lot of, so, all right, let, 
I'm going to take my time with this. So, um, I've been doing work around prison justice and, you know, things going on with folks who are incarcerated um, over the, 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 the past 20 years. Probably as long as I've been teaching in higher education, I've also been doing some type of um, work um, within the, the within the, the, the criminal, within the, the prison justice movement, whether it's teaching classes on the inside or whether it's advocacy work around folks who are locked up. Um, I got introduced to um, folks who we label today as political prisoners. I initially introduced to someone by the name of Julio Muntakim, found out that he had earned a degree at a school that I was teaching at. And then I just started to dig deep and I found a whole bunch of information and a whole bunch of names and a whole bunch of people um, that, you know, we consider to be um, political prisoners. I had always known about Mumia Abu-Jamal, I knew about Mumia in, in, in the 90s, but I did not know that there was a list of droves of folks who were locked up, not because they did anything that was quote unquote against the law, but because they served as a threat to the status quo. They might have been pinned with crimes that they did or did not do, but we know that they were locked up because they served a threat to the, the current system and the social order. And I want to be clear, like there, yes, there are black political prisoners, but there are other political prisoners who are indigenous, like Leonard, Leonard Peltier, who are um, Chicano, like uh, Alvaro Hernandez, who are, um, a variety. It's, it's just not. It's just not black folks. Um, I and I'm concerned with all political prisoners, but obviously, like you know, um, the folks that I spend a lot of time dealing with are new Africans, folks who are connected to the new African independence movement. Um, so these people exist. Um, we need to know about them. We need to understand their realities, and we need to bring attention to them because too many of them, you know, are up there in age and and they need to be free you know i'm a member of the malcolm x grassroots movement um and we have been consistent with our work around um political prisoners um from you know recently working to, to, to get matulu shakur um released and he was was released we were uh, we assisted in the campaign to get sundiata Kohli released um and sundiata was released um, again, you know, this is another topic that I don't want to cram in the two minutes. So um, we could connect the black nationalist discussion to the political prisoner discussion because arguably there is a relationship because the question has to be for these people who talk about being nationalists, what is their position on political prisoners and what are they doing to advocate for their freedom? Um, and I, I, I think I think that these two topics are are enough for for me to return and have an in-depth discussion 